You know, what's funny is that over time, history changes the way we experience the world. And there are certain skills that in one era of history, we have to have. And then later on, those skills aren't so important and new skills, which we didn't need before, are important. And recently, a video went viral that illustrates this perfectly, and I want you to watch the screen. So uh, before you go bagging on millennials, this is actually the generation after my generation. This is Generation Z that doesn't know how to use a rotary phone. Um, And so, you know, what happens is sometimes skills that we had that aren't as necessary today, we kind of go, how do you not understand that? But what's funny is that even those of us who have lived through some of these changes, we've lost some of these skills. Like, for example, how many of us, if our GPS broke down, would know how to use a map? And would know what direction was north or south or any of those things, you know? Um, How many of us, when we're at the store, if we were given improper change, would be able to do the math in our head to be able to calculate that? Or or how many of us could name off five or ten phone numbers from memory? I mean, some of us don't even know the phone number of our spouse or best friend, and so we just have it in our phone, and we push one or two, or we tell Siri to call him. And so what happens is, sometimes we go through some of these changes, and we develop an attitude like Clint Eastwood in Gran Torino, you know, just get off my lawn, you know? Because people don't have the, the knowledge that we have, and we've lived through those changes, and we have that info. Well, this doesn't just impact us when it comes to our culture, and our phones, and our maps, and our shopping. It also affects our faith. Just earlier this year, not even maybe a month ago, I stumbled on some new data, and it was a a comparison. In 1993, the Barna Research Group uh, took a survey of church-going Christians, and they put a statement in front of them. They said, every Christian has a responsibility to share their faith, and they said, agree or disagree. And in 1993, 89% of church-going Christians agreed with this statement. Yes, I agree. Every Christian has a responsibility to share their faith. They redid the survey this year, 25 years later, and these were the results. Instead of 89% of church-going Christians agreeing, only 64% agreed. That's a 25% drop in 25 years. And if you're a sociologist or a researcher, anything more than 5 to 10% is notable. So this is drastic. And just right after Easter, another study came out, also from the Barna Group, not related, but I noticed both of them when I was preparing for this message. And in in that study, they asked people the question, do you know what the Great Commission is? The Great Commission is the last words of Jesus that he spoke according to his disciple Matthew in Matthew 28. They're pretty important words. Jesus gave them, his disciples, their marching orders. And so Barna asked church-going Christians, do you know what the Great Commission is? And what they found is that 51% had never heard of it. 25% had, but couldn't remember the exact meaning. 17% said, yes, I have heard of it, and I know what it means. And 6% says, I'm not sure. Now, I can do math in my head, and so what that means is that 83% of Christians had no idea what the Great Commission was. 25% said, I can recall it, but I don't know what the actual meaning is. Only 17% said they knew it. Now, if you're a researcher uh, and you're a good one, you know that data can be manipulated. It can be twisted to say certain things. And so the people who did this study are good researchers. And so they said, well, maybe the issue is that the, the idea is being taught. People have read the passage. They just don't know the name of it. 
And so they said, well, let's give people five passages, including the Great Commission, and see if they can identify it when they're kind of primed, which one of these is the Great Commission. So they did another study, same people, and they said, here's five passages. One of them is the Great Commission. Pick the one that's the Great Commission. And when they did that study, 37% of churchgoers correctly identified the Great Commission. That means 63% couldn't. Now, many times in church, this would be the moment where me, the pastor, would move into a rant and would berate Christians for not knowing the Bible, would go on a long soliloquy on how the church has lost its way. It'd be a pastor's version of get off my lawn. But I can't do that. You say, why, Scott? Because I'm just as delinquent in this area as anybody else. And when I think about the best example of this, I go back to high school. This is a picture of me from the state championship, my senior year of high school. We lost 1-0, not bitter. (laughs) And when I see this image of myself, this was the last game of baseball, organized baseball I played in my life, I think about my faith. You see, I went to a high school that was named Faith, Faith Lutheran High School. And despite the fact that we were a Christian high school, most of my friends on my team were the biggest sinners I'd ever met. And so I had an opportunity every day to share my faith. And 99% of those days I didn't. I was a wallflower. When push came to shove, I was scared. And so I didn't say anything. On the days that I did say stuff, I was in outfield, outfielders playing right field, and I said words that I wouldn't say on this stage. So I wasn't a great example. And if I look back on those guys that I played with on that team, I was racking my brain this week trying to think about one that I feel like I had a positive impact on. I can't have my faith. So I'm not sharing with you today as somebody who has this all together. I'm not sharing with you today as somebody who's got this all figured out. But I am going to share with you today as somebody who wants something for you and wants something for me. That really is the heartbeat of this series we're about to begin called The Movies. That I want you to have a certain kind of experience that I have had even recently, as recently as this spring. And that experience is our big idea this morning. It's in your hand that I'd encourage you to pull it out and write this down. The big idea is this. Nothing energizes our relationship with Jesus like knowing we played a pivotal role in someone deciding to follow Jesus. Nothing will energize your relationship with Jesus and your faith like knowing that you played a pivotal role in someone deciding to follow Jesus. Nothing will. When you realize that God used you to help somebody else take a step of faith, that will be like opening your mouth and pouring a case of Red Bull down your throat. Because you know how broken and imperfect you are. You know all of the reasons why Jesus shouldn't use you. And when he does, and you go, I didn't save that person, but I shared with them. And God used me to help them cross the line of faith. Nothing lights you up like that. And I want you to have that thrill. I want you to have that joy. So today, you're going to walk away from this sermon knowing what the Great Commission is. You're going to be in that 
that knows what it is and knows what it means. And my prayer is that you'll use that this week to help somebody else take a step. So if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Matthew, chapter 28. Beginning in verse 16. Uh, My clicker decided it didn't like my costume today, and so it's fighting back on me. So, uh, Kelly, you want to take over from me right there? So we're going to go to Galatians chapter, sorry, Matthew chapter 28. This is the passage that's commonly or historically known as the Great Commission. And when you use the term commission, I want to make sure you know what it means. This is Webster talking. He says a commission is an authorization or a command to act in a prescribed manner or to perform prescribed acts or the authority to act for, in behalf of, or in place of another. So the Great Commission is Jesus giving us authority and authorizing us to act. And we're going to see that in this text, beginning in verse 16. In the text, this is Matthew writing. He says, now the 11 disciples, because Judas has committed uh, an act against himself, he went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they, the disciples, saw him, they worshipped him. Don't go ahead after this one. Go, Go back. But some doubted. Did you notice that? Jesus is standing there with holes in his hands, a hole in his side, having come back from the dead, and some doubted. So your friends who say, well, if, if he would come back from the dead and show himself to me, I would believe in him. Nope. Because the disciples were there. And they still doubted. That isn't the point of my sermon. I just had to mention that because I just find it fascinating. Verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Today, what I want to do is I want to share with you three reminders for Great Commission Christians. Some of these things are things that you may have heard before, but you need to be reminded. Some of these are going to be new things that you haven't heard before, and you need to learn. And the first one is this. Jesus has all power, and he's with us. Jesus has all power, and he is with us. I think one of the reasons Jesus started by saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, is because he knew some there were doubting. Some there were scared. Some there felt ill-equipped, and he said, hey guys, guess what? I have all authority. In all of creation, all heaven and earth, I have all authority. I have all the power. He says that here in verse 18. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he talks to them about going and baptizing and teaching, making disciples. And then he ends with these words in verse 20. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He says, hey, I have all the power and I'm with you. And when he says those words, I am with you, it would have reminded the disciples of the last meeting he had with them. You see, before he died, he broke bread with the disciples. They had a meal called the Last Supper. We're going to celebrate it here today in a little bit. We celebrate it on the first Sunday of every month. And when they were having that meal, he was talking to the disciples about the fact that he was going to go away from them in body, but he was going to remain with them in spirit. 
This conversation happens in John 14, 15, and 16, if you want to go home and read it. In John 14, 12, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. So Jesus is saying, hey, guess what, guys? I did awesome stuff, but you're going to do even greater stuff. This is the place I always refer to, and people say they believe the Bible, and I go, what about this verse? Do you believe that one? Because most of us don't. I mean, seriously, do you believe that you're capable of doing even greater stuff than Jesus? He said it, though. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I do and greater works than these. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. And then in verse 16, he says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. That's the Holy Spirit. So the reason why we can go out into our world and love people and engage our circle is not because we're awesome. It's not because we have all the answers. It's not because we're the best examples. It's because Jesus has all the power. He is with us and he has promised us that because he has all the power and because he is with us, even greater things than he did, we can do. Now for some of you, you you could go home on that. That's enough to chew on for the rest of your week. But I'm not done. I've got two more reminders for you. The first one is this. We are commissioned to share as we go. We're commissioned to share as we go. The word go that you just read in Matthew 28 literally means as you're going. So it doesn't just mean, hey, go, like go and figure out how to do this. It's go in the context of your everyday life. And this is the place where I think a lot of people get mixed up. You go, okay, I know I'm not sharing my faith as well as I should, so i got to figure out my calendar where I can carve out some space. Stop right there. Time out. You're thinking about this wrong. If you do that, you're going to become yet another awkward Christian trying to share their faith. And I've been there. You feel like you should, so you kind of cram it in in an awkward way into a conversation, and you're super awkward and nervous about it, And the person you're talking to is super awkward and nervous about it. And you both walk away and go, never doing that again. That was just too weird. But what Jesus says is he says, go. And as you're going, do this. So this week, the idea is not that you figure out how you have another hour or two in your schedule. Because nobody has an hour or two. It's you look at your relationships and you go, how can I engage my circle? Who are the people I'm already going to meet this week? Who are the people I'm going to interact with where I live, where I work, where I study, where I play that don't have a relationship with Jesus, that aren't connected to them, to him? And how can God use me in their life? It's as you're going. And that's why I think most of us struggle is that we compartmentalize our faith to a day of the week or areas of our life rather than seeing all of our life through the lens of our faith. See, for many of us, we we practice our faith on Sundays. And for 5 or 10 or 15 minutes in the morning, if we're good. But we struggle with the rest of our life to integrate our faith with that. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, go, and as you're going, do this. See your whole life through the lens of faith. And when I was thinking about this, I was reminded of one of the best TV shows that's ever been made. It's called Friday Night Lights. And in Friday Night Lights, the coach has a phrase that he uses over and over and over again. It's clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. If you love football, 
This is your jam. This is your show. And every time before the team goes in the field, the coach has a phrase, clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. It's a great phrase for football, but it doesn't necessarily work for us. So I came up with my own phrase, and that's open eyes, sensitive hearts, can't miss. So if you begin your week today and you say, God, would you just open my eyes to the people that I meet? Would you just make my heart sensitive to your spirit so that I can't miss the opportunities that are around me? It would be amazing what you'll see. It'd be amazing what God sparked you to do because you are looking at people, not through your own eyes, but through his. You are asking God, giving him permission to knock on your heart's door and prompt you to do stuff. It'd be Tuesday morning and you feel just compelled to go get coffee at this coffee shop. I don't know why, that's my mind. I don't ever drink coffee, but I should go there. And you end up there and you run into somebody you haven't seen in three months. And you're in a conversation with them where you can have an opportunity to make a difference in their life. Or you're in a restaurant and you're waiting in line and, and you're just kind of caught up in your own life. You say, okay, open eyes, sensitive hearts, can't miss. Okay, God, open my eyes. And you notice somebody that you would have overlooked because you were just scrolling through your phone and you have an interaction with them. And God uses you in their life. This is why the heartbeat of our church is this phrase that we want to be known as being for Prescott and for the world. Not for ourselves, but for others. Not for our own needs, but for the needs of those around us. And we say, God, open our eyes, open our hearts, allow us to see the opportunities. Not just here. Because in the passage, Jesus says, go make disciples around the world. He says later on, you've been my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's calling us not just to make a difference here, but everywhere. And it starts as we go. Here's the third reminder I want to give you today. And that's that making disciples includes leading people to Jesus and helping them to grow. Making disciples includes leading people to Jesus and helping them to grow. Some of you, when you heard me start talking about this, you go, Scott, but it's more than just introducing people to Jesus. It is. It's much more than that. And Jesus says that in verse 18. He says, go and make and baptize and teach. Those are all of the four verbs in this sentence. My English teachers would be grateful. I still remember what a verb is. But these four are significant because they describe the journey that we go on and that people go on. We go, and as we go, we share our faith. We make disciples. We baptize them like we did last week here. We baptize three people, and we teach them. And so there's a part of this that begins with somebody who doesn't know Jesus, and there's a part of this that concerns someone who, once they do begin following Jesus, there's a place for that too. And here's the thing I think I, I'll just say for me. I struggle with. There are people in my life that if I invite them to church, they'll come. And there's people in my life who, if I say the word church, they'll shout me down or walk away. Because they want nothing to do with it. They use the word Jesus, but typically on the ninth hole when they shank their drive. And you go, what, what's the deal with that? Well, several years ago, probably many years ago, there were two frameworks that were put out, one called the gray matrix and one called the angle scale that describe how people make their journey towards Jesus. And they, they plotted this on two 
axes. One about people's attitude. Are they really closed? Are they really open? Do they have any awareness? Or do they have a lot of awareness? And there's some people in your life that are right here. They're the Jesus on the ninth hole people. They have no awareness of who Jesus is and they have no openness. And you go, what's my job in their life? To help them take a next step. What if they started here, but they moved here? You go, Scott, that isn't that big of a deal. Uh Uh-uh. Because if my friend shifted from using the word Jesus on the ninth hole when he shanks his drive to not making fun of me when I talk about church, that is huge. If a person goes from making fun of me for my faith to noticing when I live out my faith and not making fun of me for it, that's huge. But it doesn't stop there. Somebody who's right here could move right here where they're, they're not actually showing animosity to me or you for our faith. But maybe they're beginning to respect it. Maybe they're beginning to appreciate it. Maybe they're even beginning to admire it. But the journey doesn't stop there. They keep moving. And now they're at a place where if you invited them to something at your church, they might say yes. Or if they went through a difficult season in their life, maybe they got cancer or their marriage was on the rocks or they're having a challenge with one of their children, they would say, hey, would you pray for me? And you'd fall over. Because you remember the day on the ninth hole when they shouted Jesus' name and not to praise him. And now they're asking you to pray for them. And you would realize that God used you to play a pivotal role in them going from here to here. You didn't do that work. Jesus did. But he used you. And then they would continue. They'd grow and they'd grow. See, here's the thing. We all have a next step. All of us. Whether you're sitting in this room today or you're thinking of a person who you feel like would never darken the door of this room, for church at least. They'd come for a play or a show, but they'd never come to church here. But here's the thing. We all have a next step. And our church is committed to being a people that help others take their next step towards Jesus. That's what we're all about. And so every Sunday, we give you next steps, not just at the end of the sermon, but to remind you that none of us have arrived. And if you think that you've arrived at spiritual maturity, we're going to get out of your way. Because Proverbs says, pride comes before the fall. And none of us have arrived. And we all have next steps. For some of us, It's from using Jesus' name in vain to respecting him. And for some of us, it's from giving him 10% of our money to 100% of our life. But it doesn't matter. One step, all the same. But as a church, you need to know that we are going to be committed. Let's go to the next slide. To focusing on reaching people. And we're going to do that with a relentless and intentional focus. We're going to do that. You say, Scott, why are you so focused on that? Because 75 to 80% of churches in America are plateaued and declining. And the number one thing they have in common is an inward focus. They've decided they exist for those who are already there. And if we do that, if we just exist for us to meet our needs and keep us comfortable, we will plateau and we will start declining. 
And we want to be a place where people can discover who Jesus is and be a place where people can grow in their knowledge and likeness of Jesus. But focusing, we're going to focus on reaching people. Why? Because we believe that nothing energizes our faith, back to the big idea, like, there we go, knowing we played a pivotal role in someone deciding to follow Jesus. Nothing energizes us like that. Now, before we go, I know some of you have roadblocks. You go, Scott, that's great for you, but not for me. And the reason why you say that is what I call our big struggle. And our big struggle is this. Many of us say, Scott, I'm not gifted as an evangelist. It's not my gift. So I'm let somebody else do it. And that's been my belief for part of my life too. Because back in high school, I go, there's other people who are much better at this than me. So I'm just going to work on other stuff. But here's the thing. I'm not gifted as an evangelist, but I am commissioned to share my faith. And the same thing is true for you. You get, it may not be your gift, but the great commission applies to all of us. And sometimes God gives us the opportunity. Earlier this spring, in a period of five months, I had the privilege of sharing with five people and was with them when they prayed to surrender their life to Jesus Christ. You know how crazy that is? I was the wallflower in high school who couldn't say anything. And then through the dumb luck of God's kingdom, I end up there with five people when they're just like, so what do I do now? I don't know, you pray, you give back to Jesus. Want to do it right now? Yeah, sure, awesome, we do it. What just happened, Jesus? I'm not that guy. But guess what? My giftedness doesn't limit what God can do. And I may not be gifted, but I am commissioned. And if you look at that that, that stat I gave you earlier, there are a growing number of us who don't believe that. If you were to sum up our belief, it's this phrase right here. It's not my job. This phrase is toxic. If you work in a company or an organization and the people around you say, it's not my job, get a new job because your company's going down. If you work for an organization and everybody says, it's not my job, your organization is one day not going to exist. I was in a restaurant on Wednesday night. I won't name the restaurant because we're not a huge town. But I was in a restaurant. My wife ordered a lemonade. She drank it. She needed a refill. Our waitress came by. She said, hey, do you anything you need? And I said, yeah, she needs another lemonade. So she, she puts the order in. It's been 10 minutes. No lemonade. I can make lemonade in 10 minutes. So she comes by. She said, hey, you need anything? I said, yeah, that lemonade. She goes, oh, I sent it to the bar. And then she walked away. And I was like, I didn't say this because I don't think as fast or I have a filter, one of the two. Either way is good. <laughs> but I'm thinking, I don't care if you send it to the bar. It's your job to bring her lemonade. Let me tell you, that's the third time I've been to that restaurant the last year where I've waited 15 minutes to, to put an order in. And every time I go, it's chaos. And nearly every time I go, I have an experience like that where somebody goes, hey, it's not my job. And I wonder if that perspective has taken root here. I'll tell you a quick story. Last year, there was a woman who was 
part of our church, and she came to the first week about the movies. And, um, and she had a great experience, and she began to be convicted by God that she needed to invite her hairdresser. So she went and she uh, took an invite card. I think I have one of my bullets in here. She took one of these. She goes to her hairstylist and she says, hey, I've invited you to church for five years. And you've always been polite. You've always said no, but you have to come to church next Sunday. No, no, you have to come. You will meet me there, right? (laughs) Now she has like six or eight years of paying this one once a month to, you know, hide the grays and do the rest of the work, you know. And so she says, you will come, right? And she says, yeah, I'll come. So the next four days, what happens in the woman who tends Cornerstone? She prays like a madwoman. Her prayer life is off the charts. She's texting people, pray. She's texting me, hey, I hope you don't screw up. My friend's coming after six years. Do a good job, Scott. (laughs) I always love those moments on Saturday. Hey, what are you preaching on on Sunday? (laughs) Don't screw up. So we rolled the movie. The lady's sitting back right here. I get up at the end and I give an invitation. I don't think I'm an evangelist. Remember, I give the invitation and this woman stands up. And she hadn't been in church in over a decade. She hasn't had a thriving relationship with Jesus for twice that. She said, I'm surrendering my life to Jesus again. I'm coming home. What would have happened if that woman who calls our church home and said, it's not my job? What would have happened? What would have been missed? So I have some next steps for you because everybody has a next step. And here's the first one. I want to encourage you today to praise God and thank the people who helped you discover Jesus because you're sitting here because somebody else got the privilege of helping you discover a next step. And I think many of us have not stopped to praise God for that and haven't thanked that person for that. Maybe it could be a phone call this week, a text message, an old school thank you note that you lick a stamp and put it on an envelope. But thank them. Because you're here. Because somebody else gave you a gift. Number two, I want you to pray and ask God for opportunities to help the people in your circle take their next step. I'm not saying that you're going to be the person who's going to pray with them on Sunday next week to give their life to Jesus, but you can most certainly be involved in helping them take a next step. And so pray, God, give me the opportunity. Ask him to show you what those are. And when those are there, number three, I want you to be courageous. Why? Because you're not alone and because you have power. You don't have power on your own. You have power because Jesus has all authority and he wants to use you and he wants to work through you. And when we begin at the movies next week, we've put a lot of effort and time into it. But if God doesn't show up and use it, it's just human effort. And when we have moments where we know that God could do something, like happened with that woman who attends our church, what do we do? We pray. We pray like never before. And so what I'm going to do right now may seem uncomfortable, but it's a sign of how dependent we are on Jesus. I'm going to invite you to get down on your knees with me because I have people that I'm inviting and I have people that I'm praying for. And I know some of you do too. 
And if Jesus doesn't work in their heart, if he doesn't work in their life, if he doesn't use what we have planned, it's just our effort. So if you're able, I'd encourage you to get down on your knees with me right now. Jesus, we sang words a little while ago about we're on our knees. And it seems disingenuous to just stand while we sing those words. But I heard the sounds of my brothers and sisters and my friends and my family singing in this place, crying out and calling you to fill it with your presence. Not just today, but in the weeks to come. God, we have people that we love that just seems so far from you. We have people that we would love to come to know the love and mercy and grace that we have found in you. We have people that we know that need a life-changing encounter with you. We have people that we know whose hearts are so hard, we know that nothing we can do on our own can break through. And so we just continue to love them and pray for them, asking you to do a miracle. And so we just pray that you would work in and through us in this season. Maybe it isn't somebody coming to, at the movies, but it's them becoming more open to a friendship with us. Maybe it's simply a conversation or a, an email thread about an article or a book an event in our culture, an experience they're having in their life. God, we know all the reasons why we feel inadequate and not enough in this area. We know all the times in our past where we haven't been the example or witness for you that we wished we were, and we know all the reasons why we feel like we can't do this. So we're claiming your word is true that even greater things than you did. And we know that it is your purpose that every knee bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord. So we just pray that in these days you'd use a series like at the movies to bring people one step closer to you, to help them cross the line of faith, to help them discover redemption in you. And if you'd use us, if you'd work through us, nothing would thrill us more. So we just pray that you'd accomplish your purposes and we're expectant and dependent on you. Lord, come and fill this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.